thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food reel with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. Hi team and welcome to episode 74 of The Real Food Reel. Today on the show I am joined by Katie Pettuccini from Holistic Endurance and we are here to break down the myths and misconceptions of lower carbohydrate high fat or what you might know as LCHF. Hi Katie and thanks for your time today. Hello again. It's awesome to have you back here. I'm looking forward to breaking down this topic and the reason why um, we've chosen this discussion today is that here at The Natural Nutritionist we've recently released our LCHF seven-day meal plan um, because we've been asked so many people to provide a guide on LCHF and an example meal plan with easy and nutrient-dense recipes um, just to inspire people or certainly help kickstart their LCHF journey. Um, and I want to clarify a number of myths that I know you and I both see um, in our in our little worlds. Um, tell me about your experience with that. Yeah, absolutely. There's heaps of confusion, and I'm lucky enough to have received a sneak peek of this beautiful <laughs> ebook, and it is absolutely stunning. Let alone the content being amazing, it just looks beautiful. Uh, so very excited to get into those recipes because some of those are new to me and look very delish mm-hmm. from what I see with athletes as a coach there's definitely a lot of confusion around LCHF and I think the key word which I know we'll touch on today is that it's lower ER carbohydrate not uber low mm. and it's not no carbohydrate which I think is one of the biggest misconceptions and where athletes can perhaps go wrong or have a bad experience with it and fall down in regards to poor energy and, and poor recovery. I'm really glad we're touching on this. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start because for a long time it, it, at the LCH acronym, sorry, the LCHF acronym was low carbohydrate, high fat. And somewhere along the line, the word low got turned into no. Correct. <laughs> which is very incorrect. And we know that an individual's carbohydrate requirements depend on a number of factors and certainly relative to our athletes um, and a lot of our audience is that your intake is very much dependent on your output but in particular the, the level of intensity of exercise that you do. And a really sort of simple reason why is because as your intensity goes up in training or racing, obviously, um, but particularly in training for the bulk of the time, that intensity or those sessions, um, they use muscle glycogen as the predominant fuel. And that muscle glycogen is actually how we store the carbohydrate in the muscle. And so as we always say that, you know, there, there is a replenishment window. Like, so after those high intense sessions, when the muscle glycogen is depleted, 
you need to put some good carbohydrates back in as part of the recovery process. We always, always hear about protein for recovery, um, but whole food carbohydrates can occasionally be forgotten about, and that's often at the detriment of the athlete. Yeah, I see it all the time. I think the key word there is whole food carbohydrates or good carbs or real food carbohydrates. And this is where I find a lot of the confusion can lie, where people use the word carbohydrate in their mind, they think of the things you can buy in a supermarket aisle, your breads and your pastas and all your corn-based processed carbohydrate foods. And perhaps don't consider the fact that our carbohydrates do come from our vegetables and our fruits. Yeah. And I, I love to clarify this point and it's something I do in at you know the very beginning of most of the seminars that I run. I like to really clarify that when I speak about carbohydrates, I'm speaking about two very distinct groups because in no way do we want to demonize that macronutrient group as a whole. But the two groups that we speak about, one is refined carbohydrates, which are the food-like products that we need to avoid. Um, and, but then obviously we've got our whole food carbohydrates, so fruits, starchy veggies, I'm okay with quinoa and even rice if it's tolerated by the individual. And those foods can fit within an LCH template. And as all of our athletes know, Provided you eat the, those foods in the post-training window, you don't get the negative effects of the blood sugar roller coaster, and you really prioritize your recovery, which is essential for your ongoing performance. Let's go over that post-training window because I think that's crucial in regards to athletes and anyone really, if they're training for body composition in the gym, to understand that concept for optimum results. Yeah, for sure. So I think we'll start from the other angle that if you're sitting at your desk or you're quite sedentary and you eat carbohydrates in excess, you spike the hormone insulin, which stops any ability to burn fat, and it starts the blood sugar roller coaster, which is that negative cascade which keeps you hungry and causes cravings and 3.30-itis and it can make weight management quite challenging. So we don't want to eat carbohydrates in excess at those times. But it's a very different environment in that post-training window because your body literally has a conversation with those carbohydrates and it has a job to do, and that is to top up the muscle glycogen so your stores are optimal, so your recovery and subsequent performance is optimal. So there's a very different physiology dependent on the time at which you eat these foods. All right, so if we go through an example. So I think with if we look at a, a post-training meal and if you're having, let's keep it really simple and say we're having a smoothie, I'm totally cool in that window for there to be, you know, a small banana added to that meal. And some people might freak out because, you know, and this is one of the other myths we'll get to, is that for a long time there's been this LCH myth that you can't have any fruit. Mm -hmm. Um, But the sugar in that fruit is going to be really beneficial at that time. And you're not sitting down 
to the fruit on its own, right? You're including good fats and proteins and non-starchy vegetables like we do with all of our meals, and that moderates the blood sugar response. So you get the fuel for your recovery without the blood sugar roller coaster and, and the cascade that um, everyone knows all about. That's a great point to hone in on that it's about those meals being coupled together with the right balance of macronutrients mm. rather than looking at things in isolation. Yeah. Because that's the impact that's the overall impact that it's having on our on our hormone system for sure. Yeah, and essentially, you know, and this is an important point, LCHF is just real food. So I look at the acronyms JERF, just eat real food and LCHF, lower carbohydrate, higher fat, as very similar things. They can they can be different dependent on, you know, I guess what template you're following, but they can also be the same. And we're just looking at having our abundance of non-starchy veggies, quality protein, good fats, and then timing our whole food carbohydrates. Once you get your head around that, it's really simple. It's not a mathematical equation. It's not calorie counting. It's not restriction. It's just get, getting really intelligent and understanding how food affects your physiology. Couldn't agree more. And just to clarify, you mentioned intensity sessions versus mm. volume sessions might elicit a different response. Do you want to go into that a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. So in an ideal world, an athlete's <laughs> doing <laughs> their longest longer sessions at a lower heart rate to encourage fat oxidation, so to burn fat as, a, as the predominant fuel. And in that case, you're just nowhere near burning through the amount of muscle glycogen that you do at the other end of the spectrum. So as the intensity increases, your body wants to select glucose for fuel, which is that glycogen um, broken down, originally stored in the muscle. Um, it wants to select that glucose because it's readily available and broken down very quickly. So, you know, if we look at that from an evolutionary perspective, that glucose is what we use to run away from a threat or catch our dinner, and we need it to be available, ready, set, go. Um, and the same thing applies in intensities above either your crossover point or your MAF math heart rate. The the carbohydrate usage or oxidation increases exponentially with intensity. So ideally, if you're doing a base session and burning predominantly fat, you don't need to top up your muscle glycogen because you haven't used much, right? And you'll get enough in your whole foods, in your vegetables and quality protein and good fats. But if you're doing an interval session with sections of elevated heart rate that's the time to replace your muscle glycogen post training with the whole food carbohydrates yeah i think that's so important for people to understand and as a coach i see this is one of the biggest mistakes that athletes make that in a base or in an endurance based session they are not following the right protocols or parameters mm. to enable that purpose so if the purpose is base building or endurance that low heart rate is so crucial mm. to set up our metabolism but also our aerobic system and i see that done incorrectly 90 percent of the time mm. uh, and it should be yeah a lot more focus on that and i think the culture of endurance of 
go hard or go home or go long or go home uh, is where that has, has come from and we need to step away from it and go into a session and understand the purpose of it. Oh, totally. Is, is the purpose low heart rate endurance aerobic building or is the purpose speed building VO2 max or lactate threshold or tempo or feeling race pace? And stick to that purpose and not mesh it up into a washing machine and make it (laughs) wishy-washy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think, um, you know, obviously as a coach, you see the programming and I know you also see the fueling. But to sort of bring it back to the topic today, it's really important for, for both reasons. You know, if you're always chewing through those carbohydrates, so if your intensity is too high, you'll find it really hard to burn fat. It'll be almost impossible. Mm. And then your body will need more carbohydrates because you're low on glycogen and you've stimulated all the carbohydrate enzymes from that high intensity and your cravings will flow on. And and you'll find LCHF a pain in the bump when it actually should be really easy because it gives you satiety and it gives you craving control. And for once in your life, you've got um, some hunger management in place. So the intensity is really relative. It's really important to understand the purpose of the session for obviously performance goals, but to appreciate the the fueling, um, you know, the fueling impact. Yeah, I think uh, if people can understand that concept, that'll go a long way mm. to managing their recovery and and fatigue and hunger long term as they uh, increase the kilometers. Yeah, for sure. So going into some other myths that you deal with on a on database basis around LCHF. I know the cholesterol question comes up a lot mm. for you. Yeah, this is huge. Um, now, a couple of episodes ago, we had Associate Professor Ken Sakaris on the show and we spoke about LCHF and the impact on your physiology. So, you, Katie, you and I aren't going to go and repeat that whole podcast, so I will pop a link in the show notes to that episode because it's one of our best. Ken is an absolute wealth of knowledge and I can't tell you how many text messages and emails I've had from clients and our audience just amazed by that episode. So please check it out if you haven't listened to it. But I want to keep the conversation quite simple for the point of LCHF myths and misconceptions. Um, But first things first. Anyone that looks at total cholesterol on its own is 30 years out of date. So if you're eating LCHF and you have an increase in total cholesterol and your GP freaks out or puts the fear of God in you or tells you that LCHF is going to kill you or give you, give you heart disease, you absolutely need to find another doctor because they are 30 years out of date. So we know that cholesterol is an absolutely vital substance. Our brain is 25% cholesterol. Our hormones are made on cholesterol. We we can't, the aim is not to, to have low cholesterol and neither is high total cholesterol a problem. What's interesting with LCHF is that it has been shown to naturally increase the HDL, the high-density lipoprotein. So if our HDL is increasing, 
What do you think that's going to do to a to our total cholesterol, which is made up of HDL plus LDL? Of course, like if your increase. HDL is increasing, <laughs> your total cholesterol is increasing. But for a very long time, that was seen as a really negative thing, and people were put on statin drugs, which we know have horrendous side effects and uh, are rarely needed. But to not deviate too much. LCHF can increase your total cholesterol, but that is because it will increase your high-density lipoprotein, which is a good cholesterol, and it can be really, really healthy. We also see HDL increase with exercise and weight loss. So imagine if someone starts LCHF, starts moving and loses weight. Of course, the HDL is going to increase. So naturally, their total cholesterol will. So I'll say it again. Anyone that looks at total cholesterol on its own is 30 years out of date. So total cholesterol is not a problem. Now, I also see some people that respond based on their genetic differences and their total cholesterol can get very high. So I don't expect that after 50 years of being told that total cholesterol is bad for someone to feel suddenly okay about a 9 or a 10 total cholesterol. But what we need to do is break our num- break those cholesterol numbers down. Now, as Ken spoke about, the the key the key way to net, to look at your pathology results is to look at your total cholesterol to HDL ratio. Most pathology reports now have this ratio under the under the actual TC, HDL and LDL, but you can just simply divide the TC by the HDL to get a ratio. Ideal is under 3.5. This indicates that you have the high fluffy LDL particles which is healthy and is associated with a very low chronic disease risk. If you have above 3.5, you're starting to get a little bit problematic, but the higher that ratio goes, the more it indicates the small, death, the small dense, dangerous particles. But we can't just look at total cholesterol alone, which is the general effect that LCHF may have. All right. Well, we'll refer everyone back to the podcast with Ken yeah. to get further information on that because I think that's vital. Mm. While we're on uh, controversial topics that you love, shall we chat about diabetes? Because I hear a lot, see a lot in mainstream media um, about this being a bit controversial and causing a few issues for people and confusion. So let's clear that one up as well. And yeah, the management absolutely. of type 2 diabetes and where, you know, LCHF, LCHF fits in that picture. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is a fascinating topic because for a very long time, particularly in Australia, we see the guidelines for type <laughs> 2 diabetics to eat carbohydrates and take insulin. Blows my mind. Which if you understood simple physiology, those with insulin resistance, which is essentially what type 2 diabetes is, if they remove the carbohydrates, 
they don't need the insulin to stay alive. So obviously <laughs> the unfortunate reality is there's far more money in the treatment of a disease than there is in the cure. So mm -hmm. Big Pharma, which we know is a multi-trillion dollar, has a multi-trillion dollar influence on type 2 diabetes, um, they would rather that we didn't know that we could cure or at least manage this disease with our diet. Now, we're finally seeing some research come through. Um, earlier this year, we saw the CSIRO release a piece that found this magic cure for type 2 diabetes, which is LCHF. And, I mean, I don't know how it took them 50 years to understand basic physiology, but the best part about it is that the conversation's now being had. So my opinion is that LCHF should be the first line of treatment for type 2 diabetes. I, might, I know that might sound controversial, particularly if someone's seen a diabetes educator and has been told to eat carbohydrates. But if you have insulin resistance, you're carbohydrate intolerant. So you really need to significantly reduce your intake to manage, to manage your disease. Couldn't agree more. And that's what's putting the empowerment back in our hands, in people's hands. Mm. Uh, I find that often, I'm generalising here, your general GP, uh, they take that control or that empowerment away from patients and uh, slap a Band-Aid on and don't provide the education and the understanding as to the impact of that Band-Aid, that pharmaceutical, and the elements of this, the, not just this disease, many diseases, are in our control with habits that we can put in our daily life and mainly around food and nutrition, and which brings us to a, another common misconception is the food prep time required to be quote unquote healthy and do LCHF properly. Yeah, I know, right? But you need to eat every day. So food prep's just part of the parcel. I think being lazy or not prioritizing your time and, and, and quote unquote having to grab something on the go, which is most often going to be full of refined carbs, is just poor planning or poor prioritization. I mean, Real food is as simple as non-starchy veggies, good protein, quality fats, and it doesn't need to take heaps of time. It doesn't. You don't need to be taking hours. And I think, in terms of how much time it can take, that really depends on what what your palate's like and whether you're okay repeating meals throughout the week. I mean, I'm a big fan of cook once, eat twice. Or cook once, eat many. And if we go back to our ebook that we've just launched, we have a, a seven-day meal plan which contains eleven recipes. But you can make it even more simple than that. I'm totally okay if you pick two breakfasts that you want to rotate for the week, and then you know for dinner on on Monday night you cook double, so you have Tuesday lunch and so on and so forth. You're in the kitchen for dinner, right? So just get another container and make lunch while while you while you're in there and while you've allocated that time. Anyone that walks around with that story that it's time consuming <laughs> is just making it way more complicated than it needs to be and putting up this big barrier. I mean, keep it really simple and of course, 
the ultimate goal is to have a great repertoire and lots of variety. I mean, we've spoken about this many times on the show, but Rome wasn't built in a day. So you can literally start with a small handful of recipes that are on your plate in 10 or 20 minutes and then in a month's time pick a new recipe to try and evolve it that way. Take your time because LCHF is just real food, so it should be a lifestyle. There are so many benefits, you know, the satiety and the blood sugar control and the fat loss that can that we can achieve day to day, but it's the autoimmune disease and the chronic disease management that we need to remember for our long-term health goals. It so, really is that simple. Mm. And I think change can be complicated for people sometimes. And hopefully this podcast is that inspiration that people need to just take that first step, grab the ebook, the recipes look sensational, the meal plan is really simple and just start somewhere. And if that means that the minimum you do is change one meal for the week, then that's a start. You've got to just start somewhere and take that action step and not look for the perfection and just each week build on the previous week. Absolutely. And if you're going to start with one meal, start with breakfast because Mm. that's the one we've had so wrong. For 50 years, we thought that cereal or toast with Vegemite would be a a nutritious start to our day. And then the cascade's going and we're craving carbs and we're falling asleep under our desk at 3.30. So change your brekkie and look for the abundance of veggies, proteins and good fats and it will absolutely shape your day, your choices, and you'll have control over your physiology for maybe the first time in your life. Yes, it is life-changing, and I'd love to see if someone could make a piece of uh, toast with Vegemite look as pretty as this chia pudding with coconut yogurt and strawberries on the front cover of your e-book. Sarah Craven has worked her magic on these images, I must say. (laughs) Yeah, she's sensational. I love it. I love it. Actually, speaking of strawberries, let's talk about fruit Um, which you touched on a little bit earlier. Why do you think people think that fruit isn't part of LCHF? Well, you know, I think it comes down to the whole I quit sugar or low sugar movement, which I think has been fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but we really need to separate refined sugar from some sugar that we find in fruit. And berries have a fantastic antioxidant profile which is actually really important when we are lowering our other forms of carbohydrate. And berries are actually very low sugar. You're not getting many carbohydrates with a half a cup of berries that you add to your smoothie or to your pudding. And again, as we mentioned with the the, um, comment earlier about the banana, neither are you sitting there and just eating pure sugar. Again, you're combining your macronutrients. So a chia pudding has protein, good fats, and then we have a small amount of carbohydrates from berries and you're still getting fantastic blood sugar control. And for a lot of people, vegetables for breakfast freaks them out. They, <laughs> everybody asks, oh, but what about breakfast? I'm like, I just said two cups of vegetables with every meal. <laughs> but so a chia pudding is a really nice entry level. No, it hasn't got veggies, so it's not as what I think would be as amazing as a, a smoothie or an egg-based dish. But 
we're not aiming for perfection, as you said. We're looking for a nutrient-dense, whole food-based option to the refined garbage that we've been eating for 50 years. So a chia pudding can be made in five, five minutes or it can be prepared the night before. It's portable. It's delicious. It's kind of like cereal, so it's a, it's a much closer swap than suddenly asking someone to have eggs with veggies and avo, etc. Mm. So that can be a great place to start. And yeah, fruit, I, again, I, it's it's whole food. So let's not demonize carbohydrates as a whole group. Let's cut the garbage, the refined carbs that come in a packet or a box and usually have a mascot. Yeah, it's been really interesting even myself watching, say, those beliefs get in my way over the years of what constitutes quote-unquote breakfast, what constitutes a quote-unquote dinner. Mm. Why does that have to look a particular way? If I feel like eggs for dinner, eggs can be for dinner. If I feel like broccolini for breakfast, and I'll have broccolini for breakfast with everything else. So I think, yes, I like it. (laughs) Haven't heard that. I agree. I mean, I even think that a smoothie can work for dinner if it's an athlete that's training really late and doesn't have a huge appetite or wants to sort of wrap up for the day. A smoothie is not a diet. It's not a meal replacement shake. If it's got vegetables, protein, good fats, you know, it's still exactly what we want to build our plate with per se it's just liquid which can be great on the digestion at that time at night while still prioritizing you know obviously having a meal and that recovery window yeah so you can move and i'm really around. glad you touched on that i do think that people get confused sometimes if they haven't seen a whole food smoothie ingredients list and understand what that entails we're not talking about a powder and water here we're talking about at least like 10 nutrient dense ingredients to go into a nutritious smoothie keeping you uh, satiated yeah. for hours and we're not also talking about two bananas and some asahi powder and some mm-hmm. buckwheat and some sprinkles of something else sweet like we see those amazing pictures on instagram of these bowls but they're the ones that are actually full of sugar like they've gone a little bit crazy right whereas when i talk about a smoothie i talk about you know only a small amount of carbohydrate so one or even half a serve of fruit and then protein good fats greens so the macronutrient profile is key yeah and the lchf meal plan that you've ebook you've just released has some good smoothie options in there too yeah, we've just got a simple green smoothie, which is a great way to start the day. Um, that's something that um, is, again, a really quick and easy brekkie option to start to make the switch from a conventional, really refined, carbohydrate-dense option. And in terms of liquid sources for smoothies, this brings up uh, another great topic with LCHF. I think traditionally it's been thought that LCHF means lots and lots of dairy. Mm. Can you expand mm. on that? Yeah, I think we, we do see it. Like we see, well, you know, the, the big feedback, the big piece of feedback that we get about LCHF is, oh, my God, the food tastes amazing because they can finally eat fat. A lot of people that land on LCHF have tried every other calorie counting, Weight Watchers, Lean Cuisine, you know, that, that has ever been available. And the food is low-cal, so it's low-fat, and it's kind of bland and kind of boring. Whereas LCHF, the food tastes amazing because we can include good fats. And obviously dairy can be underneath that banner of of when we prioritise high fat, as we would, um, as being an option. But an LCH template can be dairy-free. I think that's important because dairy is a very 
individual tolerance situation. And even Phil Maffetone, who has his famous two-week test, which is essentially two weeks of LCHF to appreciate your own degree of carbohydrate intolerance, um, makes a pretty clear point that if you don't get results, you need to try again low dairy or no dairy because it can be quite inflammatory for some people and that inflammation can appear on the scales or it can appear as the, the no results if you would expect, you know, if you were doing that two-week test where most people can really get quite significant results when they first do start LCHF. So, you know, I think with dairy, though, to break it down even further is we can we can create two distinct groups like we do with our carbohydrates. Now, milk is almost in a category of its own. It's pasteurized dairy. It's highly processed. It's often watered down, and the milk sugar lactose will spike your insulin and stop any fat burning and blood sugar control. So, unfortunately, uh, pasteurized cow's milk is not food. Um, but if you're having a, a good quality goat's feta or hard cheese that's low lactose and that works for you, that can be included in your plan. But as I said, it can also be dairy-free. So my advice is to, if you're not sure and you like a little bit of goat's feta or hard cheese, just start small and have one or two serves a week and just see how your body responds. Um, if you're not having any challenges with your weight management or your blood sugar control or you're not having any inflammatory problems um, and things are heading in the right direction in terms of your goals, you might find that that's your tolerance level and that, and that suits you. Um, but conversely, if you're feeling like you've got a bit of a barrier with your weight management or you're not recovering as well, maybe there is some underlying inflammation, cut the dairy out for a week or two and then see how your body responds. It's really trial and error, which is what we try and encourage every single week on the show because N equals one after all. Yeah, I'm glad you touched on that point uh, because it, it doesn't mean that perhaps it's inflammatory for you now, that it will be inflammatory forever. We can cycle in and out of these responses and that's where that intuitive approach of N equals one is so important. Yeah, for sure. And it's really healthy to have a break. I mean, we also do a back-to-basics cleanse that we run for six weeks a couple of times a year, and that's dairy-free, it's gluten-free, sugar-free, caffeine and alcohol-free. And that's really nice to reset the system um, for a small period of time. Um, but then, obviously, it's the individual tolerance that we look at moving forward in a template that's more of a you know lifestyle, longer-term plan. All right, so let's wrap up our discussion on LCHF myths with a chat about ketosis. Yes, please. <laughs> so this kind of summarises um, a lot of the points that we have already been discussing and I, I really want to clarify this point because uh, people seem to merge the two. They think that LCHF is ketosis and they think that ketosis is LCHF and that's false. So to put it simply, LCHF is obviously lower carbohydrate than the food pyramid, which is a good thing. Um, but the difference, ketosis is essentially the next level where most people need to go strict low carb and they burn fat for fuel, but they also produce ketones. So ketone or ketone bodies become the energy source um, and 
they that the individual pretty much needs to stay very low carb to stay in that state. And I think that it's a great first-line treatment, at least initially, for an inflammatory disease, for type 2 diabetes, for cancer. Um, but I don't think that it it's necessary for metabolically well active individuals like our athletes. I think that the whole point or one of the huge benefits about LCHF is it's real food, it's sustainable, it's a lifestyle, and we're not having to count grams or calories or, you know, we on a stick. <laughs> it's, it's really sustainable. So I, I think let's kind of keep that quite simple, that they're similar in the fact that the, the macronutrient that is manipulated is or are carbohydrates but they're very different ends of the spectrum. LCHF can be 20 grams a day, which was what a diabetic would need to reset their insulin resistance, but it can be 200 grams a day, usually for a lean male that's very active. So obviously there's a huge difference between 20 and 200, and most of us sit on the spectrum. And I can imagine that that would also change based on training requirements for that day. Yeah, for sure. So like we touched on earlier or at the beginning, your, your requirement's totally relative to your output, to your intensity. So and um, say a metabolically, let's use a metabolically uh, well, lean, healthy male who's doing um, a really key intense training session with intervals and um, top-end efforts. That day, he might eat 150 or 200 grams of carbohydrates, but still with the abundance of plant material, good fats and proteins. But then the next day, if he's doing just a recovery jog, a mass low heart rate run, he might only need 50 grams of carbohydrates that day. So the periodization can be really, really useful because it's kind of a way to have your cake and eat it too, right? Pardon the pun. If you want to go and have, I don't know, some sweet potato chips and a nice homemade burger with with a you know say a gluten free bun for example that's obviously going to be quite a lot of carbohydrates but you can make it work if you want a little bit of an 80 20 type approach depending on where you are you just have it at the right time or on the right day there'll be plenty of other days where you just eat three meals of two cups of veggies one protein two good fats which lands you at about that 15% carbohydrate relative to your output hmm. But yeah, I mean, ketosis is not LCHF and LCHF is that individual position between, you know, 20 and 200 grams a day, dependent on your metabolic profile and your genetics and your current carbohydrate tolerance. Brilliant. Well, I think we've covered all the key misconceptions and myths that we hear on a regular basis. And for those of you that have been inspired to find out more about LCHF and how you can apply it. The meal plan from the natural nutritionist is now available online. Yes. So head to the show notes for the link um, and you can download that straight from our website. I'm excited. I want to get in the kitchen now. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to decide where to start actually. I was like, oh, which recipe? (laughs) But yeah, lots to choose from and a really simple, easy meal plan to follow guys. So can't wait to hear your feedback. And as always, hashtag the natural nutritionist on Instagram and any other social media platform so we can check out your recipes, your images and how you're enjoying your LCHF lifestyle.
Awesome. Thanks, Steph. I'll speak to you next time. Thanks, Katie. Bye. See ya. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.